0: Following is a podcast of 19 North, a young adult's ministry at Victory Family Church. For more details, see 19north.tv. December 17th and 18th, make sure you're here for family Christmas. It's going to be an awesome service. We have a huge production that's going to be taking place with videos and music, so it's going to be awesome. Make sure you guys come December 17th and 18th. I don't know what time they are, so you're going to have to go online to figure that out. But tonight... Man, tonight we have a special guest. He's not a guest. He's a part of the family. My man, Mike Russell, he's been serving here for how long now? About a year. About a year. He's been serving here for a year. And you know, ever since I met Mike Russell, I just saw that there was something inside of him that, that God wanted to draw out. And, and after hanging out with Mike and getting to know Mike, I, I, I truly bega- began to see the heart that he had for people and the heart uh, for the lost. And that's one thing that I love about Mike Russell. He's not, he's not scared to go out and, and, and preach the gospel and to love on people that nobody else would love on. Uh, so tonight, Mike's here. He's going to be bringing the word. So let's give it up for Mike as he, as, as he gets ready. What I want to do is I want us just to extend a hand. I'm going to pray over Mike, and then we're going to, he's going to jump right into it. So, dear Father God, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for this night. God, I thank you for this opportunity that you have given Mike Russell just to proclaim your gospel, to proclaim your good news. God, I thank you that you have given him power, Lord, that you have given him words to speak to our hearts tonight. God, we open up our hearts to receive for you, God, and we thank you, Lord, that the, the grace deposit is on his life to communicate. And we ask this in your name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Zach. Well, thanks, guys. It's really cool to be here. I love you all. Um, I'm just going to get right into it. So uh, several weeks ago, I was having a talk with God and it ended up being unexpectedly one of the most difficult conversations I've had with God in the entire time that I've been pursuing him. And I was praying and I was telling him, I was like, God, I'll do anything you ask of me. I'll do anything. And he responded but not in the way I expected, he responded by reminding me of some stuff in my past that he had already asked me to do. And specifically, he, he brought to mind a friend of mine uh, named Pat. And Pat is a guy who I knew in college. We played on the same lacrosse team. And uh, you know we were good friends, we got along, uh, but we didn't really hang out much outside of team functions. Uh, and Pat called me out of the blue one night, which was really weird, just kind of given the dynamics of that friendship. And uh, he said, Mike, uh, I'm glad I got a hold of you. Uh, I really want to talk to you because I know that you don't seem to behave the same way as a lot of our teammates do. And, you know, you're not making the same decisions as everyone else is. And I got to be honest with you, I'm not happy with some of the decisions I've made since I've gotten to school. Uh, And, Mike, I know you're into Jesus. And I was wondering if you could take me under your wing and introduce me to some of your Christian friends and I could hang out with you. And immediately I was just ecstatic. I was like, this is so cool, absolutely. I was like, Pat, sure, I would love to take you under my wing. You can hang out with me and my Christian friends. You'll get to know us, get to know my crew. It'll be awesome. And, you know, I, I hung up the phone and I immediately just started thanking God. Like, clearly this was a situation in which God had brought this kid into my life by no accidental circumstances so that I could share the gospel with him. And... Uh, get him saved. And you know what I did? I absolutely 100% did not do any of that. I asked Pat to hang out with me and my Christian friends one time. And it went great, we had a good time, he seemed to connect with people really well and for whatever reason, I just dropped the ball after that. I never did it again. And you know, like I, 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 wish, I wish I could say this was a hard fought failure, but it wasn't that at all. Like it wasn't, it wasn't even a swing and a miss, it was just God lobbed me up this slow pitch softball witnessing opportunity and I just let it go by. And I think I thought, you know, I'm going to have three more years to witness to this kid. But at the end of that school year, you know what happened? Pat transferred schools, and that was in 2013. And I've seen him one time since then. And uh, as God brought this to my mind, I just had this gut-wrenching feeling of remorse in my stomach. And I was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm going to send Pat a text message right now. I'm going to apologize to him for not holding up to my word of doing what I said I was going to do. And I pull out my phone, I started sending a text, and God was like, wait, hold up. You should send that text message, that'll do some good. But first, you need to recognize that your window of opportunity for witnessing to Pat has shut. You had a chance, and you didn't do it. And that hit me, that hurt me. And I was like, okay, well what now? And he goes, you need to ask me to send somebody else to Pat. And, you know, th- th- that, that was really hard for me to stomach. And it was a situation in which God was showing me love by pointing out, you know, a mess up that I had and loving me sho- lovingly showing me discipline. It was something that needed to happen, but it hurt. And, uh, you know, a- as I asked God to send somebody else to Pat, which is one of the toughest things I've done, um, he brought to mind four more guys that he had brought into my life under similar circumstances, who under similar circumstances I had failed without ever really trying to witness to. And he instructed me to ask him to send people to those four guys as well. Um, the book of Acts says that God called King David a man after his own heart because he was willing to do all of my will. Um, and I can't stress to you enough in English words how important it is that we do everything God asks of us, or at least try to. I mean, it's impossible to actually do everything that God asks of us, but David was a man after God's own heart because he was willing to do all of God's will. And the thing is, when you don't do what God asks of you, there are, there are people like Pat who get left out in the cold, and that's why it's so important. And th- this, this story doesn't completely directly tie into what I'm going to talk about the rest of the night, but I just want to highlight the fact that it is so important to do what God asks of you. And that leads me into something that's really cool that God asks us to do. And that is my first slide. God asks us to do everything that we do in the name of Jesus. And because he asked us to do it, it is of paramount importance that we do it. Uh, I'm going to take a look now at uh, what is arguably my favorite singular verse in all of scripture. It's Colossians 317. Uh, It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And if we look at that phrase, you know, in in the name of the Lord Jesus, or in Jesus' name, you know, I think it gets thrown around a lot in church. You know, we, we say it when we baptize people, or, you know, it's in a lot of Bible verses, we end prayers by saying, you know, in Jesus' name, amen, but I, I think some, sometimes we kind of lose the real meaning of that phrase, and uh, it can seem like maybe it's only applied in really, you know, special occasion situations, but the truth is, it's a lot simpler than that, and, you know, doing things in, in the name of Jesus is supposed to be a lifestyle, and To me, it just means two things. Doing things in the name of Jesus means doing them, one, with reverence, and two, with authority. So we're going to cover the first uh, element here, and that's reverence. I have the Merriam-Webster Dictionary definition of reverence. If we can throw that up. Is a feeling or attitude of deep respect tinged with awe, veneration? And that's a definition that is not messing around. Uh, The bottom line here is, you know, it's an absolute privilege to even be able to utter the name of Jesus. You know, I could go on and on, and I could talk all night about how remarkable God's sacrifice of his son was for us. Um, It's just a privilege to use his name. And, you know, his name is the one that permits us to approach the Father. You know, it's a gift that we need to have an awesome respect for. Can you guys think of a time where you ever had that that awesome respect tinged with awe or something? I think for me a good example in my real life happened a couple months ago. I had the opportunity to meet my favorite musician in the whole world. His name's Dustin Kensru. and I remember like the day like that that day leading up to when I was going to meet him. I was all nervous. I was like jittery and sweating like a lot even for me, which is a lot a lot and uh you know, I was going over in my head what I'm gonna to say to this guy, and uh, it finally got to the point where uh, I was gonna to talk to him, and like I couldn't say anything. I was like, "It's nice to meet you, Dustin," and he was not as excited to meet me as I was to meet him, but it was still pretty sick. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, you know, I had such a deep respect for this guy. I had such I held him in such high regard that when I was in his presence, it shook me. You know, like I was shaken to my core when I, you know, when I said his name, like. And I think that's kind of similar to the way we need to approach the name of Jesus. Um, and you know what happened was in the days after I met Dustin Kensru, my behavior must have been really annoying to some people because any conversation I had, I was trying to work in some conversation about this. Like, oh, you never you never guess who I met yesterday. You know, I was at the gym. I was at work, you know, just sitting around the house with my parents. And any chance I had, I was trying to work in that, that experience of the conversation. <laughs> and... Uh, but I think to put it in an even simpler way, you know, when you have reverence, when you're living out of reverence to someone, you're you're just living with a thankful attitude. It's saying, you know, God, I realize what a privilege it is to use your son's name. And therefore, whatever whatever I'm about to do, I do it in hopes that it somehow is gonna make that name more famous. I might not see how it's gonna happen, but it's gonna happen. So eventually your actions are just going to become a vessel by which you thank God. All right, so we got reverence pretty well covered, I think. We're going to move on to the really fun part of this equation, though, and that's part two, which is authority. Living in the name of Jesus is living with authority. I have the dictionary definition of authority. It is also not messing around. It is a power or right that is delegated or given. So as children of God, authority means that God has delegated us his power. And you know, we have permission to use that power because of him. And because it's God's power, it is absolutely unstoppable and invincible, which is pretty sick. Um, You know, this is the power that the book of James says makes demons tremble. You know, it's the power that, you know, built the church that the gates of hell can't stand against. And we're allowed to use it. Like, that's nuts. I can't even wrap my head around that. So, you know, acting with authority says that the task in front of me might be really intimidating, but the name I carry makes any force of evil that might try to come against me in my goals, it just makes it bow down to me. It, it can't stand. You know, it, it says that, you know, with this power that I have, I, might, I, I not only can win this, I already have won this. You know, I'm fully aware of my present victory. And, you know, it, looking, looking into your daily life, it might be, if you're a student, oh, I have like a 10,000-word paper to write. I don't know how I'm going to do that in a competent manner. But, oh, wait, I have the name of Jesus, which, you know, gives me the power of the Father, and that has to make all these doubtful thoughts go away. Or if you have a really rough work week ahead of you, and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it to Friday still standing, but by the name of Jesus, you have access to the Father who says all the work of your hands is going to prosper and that no weapon formed against you is going to stand. So you know, I think when we truly start to grasp what we have with the authority of the name of Jesus, there's a really neat thing that happens and it's this authority gives us confidence. And I know a lot of people have struggles with confidence and I've definitely been there before in all kinds of stuff whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, the list goes on on you know areas I've struggled with confidence. You know, whether you feel inadequate or second class or for whatever reason you just don't feel like you stack up because of self-consciousness, So you know, I, I absolutely understand how devastating it can be to have a lack of confidence in your life. And uh, you know, if you're someone who says, I, I, I'm that person, I, I've never had any confidence in my life, I've never felt good about myself, you know, I get that. Or maybe you're someone who says, you know, being confident would be nice. But it seems kind of arrogant. You know, I don't want my pride to swell. I don't want my ego to get in the way of things. So, I don't feel comfortable being confident for that reason. But I really want—I really want you to know that not only is a godly, righteous confidence available to you. I think it is of the utmost importance that you make a decision to seize it and live by that. And live by that. So, I'm going to take a look at a verse from First Corinthians chapter three. It's verse nine. Says we are coworkers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Now I don't know if any of you have ever worked on like a group project or had a job where you had to work in a team, which is pretty much any job anyone's ever had. But if you if you have a task in front of you and you have a teammate who is showing signs that they are not confident in what they are doing, that they feel overwhelmed and incapable, you do not want that person on your team, do you? I was uh, I was a junior in college and uh, I was. Uh, I was going around to the, the business career fair uh, to try to get an internship for the coming summer, and I was you know handing out my resume to all these people, giving them elevator pitches, and nah, 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 nah. and I saw this booth for a company called Honeywell, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, Honeywell's a sick company. I gotta give them my resume. I gotta schmooze with their recruiter to see if I can get an interview. So I did that, I handed, my, handed them my resume, I schmoozed with them, and then a few hours after the career fair, I got a call, and they were like, hey, we wanna bring you in for an interview, and I was like, yes. Sick. I love Honeywell. Sick company. Let's do this. And so, you know, 9 a.m. rolls around the next day. I have, like, my ill-fitting suit on that I got for sophomore homecoming that I was still wearing at age 21. And um, Tim Woods, I think we got those suits the same day at Macy's. But anyway, um, yes, I showed up to the interview, and I was confident. I was like, I know this company. And I don't know if you know anything about Honeywell, but they're an aerospace company. They make jet engines. They make all these kinds of, like, crazy airplane parts for you know civilian aircraft and military aircraft, they're a sick company that does some really cool things. And I was confident going into this interview. The thing was, I had Honeywell confused with this other company called Honeymade. And see, like Honeywell makes jet engines and Honeymade makes graham crackers. And so I showed up to this interview expecting to talk about like s'mores and snack foods, and they're like, what do you think is the best way to make a military assault aircraft? And like all of my confidence just went out the window in a very visible way. They knew I was, did not feel good about this interview anymore. They knew I had no confidence you know, in the subject matter whatsoever, and guess who did not get a call back from Honeywell ever again? They didn't even tell me I didn't get it. They were just like, you know. Like, <laughs> So, yeah, I wasn't confident. They didn't want me on their team. They kicked me to the curb. And I think sometimes, in a less brutal way, sometimes the kingdom of God can kind of work like that. I think there are times when if God sees that you're not confident to accomplish a task, he might not give you that task. And uh, I I think a good example of this uh, comes from the book of Isaiah when, you know, God is speaking and Isaiah steps up and said, like, hey, I'm here, send me. And the people who who didn't have the confidence to step up and say that, God didn't send them to that and they weren't trusted with the same stuff that Isaiah was trusted with. All right, so I think we get it. Confidence, very good. Fear and worry, very bad. We're moving on. Right. So just as it is of extreme importance to be confident, it is also of extreme importance that we are drawing our confidence from the right place. We wanna make sure it's coming from you know, a good root because if it's not coming from the right place, you're gonna have a bad time. Um, I have a little video clip that I felt was 100% necessary to share, share with you, uh, just to illustrate what happens when you take your confidence from the wrong spot. So here goes. Okay, you guys, if I'm gonna jump 15 buses, my body's gonna have to be in top physical form, which brings us to our first exercise, lung strengthening. You guys are gonna hold me underwater for 40 seconds. That's 20 less than a minute. My body's natural instinct is gonna be to resist, but no matter what, don't let up. If there's any problem at all, I will ring this bell. My friends want some great punch. Maggie, don't even ask, just bring it. Come on.
0: Don't just stare at me, go! Thank you.
1: Soul of a bottlenose dolphin. Y'all.
0: Mom said there wasn't enough grapes or fruits of cherries. Is that okay? Uh, yeah, fine, Maggie. You put it on the table. Which table? You tell me, Brainiac, it's your front yard, too. Hey, little girl! I don't want cherries. I'm sick to my stomach. 37, 38, 39,
1: 40. Okay, let him up. Get him out! Get him out! Get him out! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that's all we need to see. <laughs> okay, so. I know that was kind of a reach, but they let me talk, and I had to make the most of it. So um, <laughs> so that, that's from the movie Hot Rod, it's like the best movie ever made. And uh, Andy Samberg's character is drawing his confidence from some sketchy place, like the soul of a bottlenose dolphin or whatever that even means. The point is, you know, his confidence wasn't coming from the right place, and he started to drown. He gets saved from that, but anyway, watch the movie. Um, But I think it does beg the question, how do we know our confidence is is well-rooted? It's coming from the right place. Um, And to do that, I think we need to look no further than the writings of Apostle Paul. I have a passage of Scripture from 2 Corinthians 11. And in this chunk of Scripture, Paul is describing some of the hardships he goes through as a result of answering the call to be an apostle for the church. It says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, and danger from false brothers. And it goes on and on and on. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That is rough. I don't care what kind of walk of life. You come through like that is some serious hardship that would derail any normal person and i think all those experiences that paul lists there they have a couple things in common one is they make you feel uh weak and the other is they make you feel helpless and i don't think i'm, I'm breaking any new ground when i say that feeling weak or helpless isn't fun like no one wakes up in the morning and says oh, i hope i feel weak today uh, i hope all my feebleness is exposed to the world no no one wants that But, you know, Paul knew better. Uh, He didn't see his weakness as a reason to fear. He didn't see his weakness as something that was a reason to abandon his dreams, to abandon the stuff that God had put on his heart. Um, He knew better. So I I have another chunk of scripture for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. uh, What do we got? Okay. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I, will, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, whenever a disaster came to Paul, and they came pretty often, as you could see from the list, it, you know, he didn't let it derail him. He, he looked at his own inability to fix a situation, and instead of being scared of it, he saw that, that weakness in him in contrast to the strength of his God. And, you know, recognizing his natural weakness brought him to a place of humility that made him even more effective at having the power of God come through him. Um, what, what was our definition of authority from earlier? It's power that, that has been delegated to us, Right. And in this case, it's God's power that has been delegated to us. And that's the power that is made perfect in weakness. So as hard as it is to wrap our brains around, whenever we are at our most vulnerable is when we are actually at our strongest and most effective. And that's where godly confidence comes from. It's not something that's conjured up from within you or from some sketchy bottlenose dolphin soul source or whatever Andy Sandberg was talking about. Um, It's confidence that that comes from the power of God that is made perfect in our weakness. And, you know, if if that's where your confidence is coming from, that's what will give you the right to be fearless. You know, that's what's going to make you want to make courageous decisions with your life, to make you make choices that to the average person might seem insane. You know, that's the stuff that's going to make you perform acts of generosity that a normal person would say, what are you even doing right now? you're 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 going to have security in that because you're going to recognize that when I make myself most vulnerable that's when God's power is most perfect in me. You know that that's the power that's going to make you want to dream. And that's that's the power that's going to make you dissatisfied with anything less than your maximum potential as a follower of Christ. I really think that a lack of confidence is crippling this generation of Christians. And um I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about my life, um, and th- this is specific to me. But I do think, you know, we all we're all from around the same area, so I think some of this could apply to a lot of different people in here. Uh, so here goes. So I-, I was born in the early 1990s, you know, to a lo- to a lo- yeah, <laughs> to a loving family in the greatest country on earth, the United States of America. I was raised in the church from the time I was an infant. My parents loved me unconditionally. We didn't struggle financially or anything like that. I didn't grow up in a lot of hardship or anything. You know, I I went to a really good high school and I got a great college education, most of which was paid for by my parents. You know, I had so many opportunities that were just handed into my lap, you know, by no work of my own. And I'm not saying this as a brag, I'm not saying this to elevate me or my family above you or anything like that. I'm saying this so that you guys recognize that we as a generation of believers have been better positioned for success than any group of people that has ever lived on this planet, ever. Like, if you think about the people in Bible times who did great things, they didn't, they didn't have the privilege that I have. Just by the circumstances of my birth, I am automatically in the top 1% of the top 1% of fortunate people who have ever lived on this planet. You know, I can can reach into my pocket and pull this thing out, and I have immediate access to all the recorded wisdom of every great believer who ever wrote anything down to help me out. No one in the Bible had that. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to do something great with it? Or are we just, you know, are we going to let that slow pitch softball come and just fall to the ground? I really hope we do something with it. No one, no generation in the history of the kingdom of God on this earth has been better positioned to make a positive impact for our Lord than we have. And we better do something with it. We better act confidently, realize the power of God that has been delegated to us and do something with it. When I am weak, then I am strong. All right. I'm pretty close to wrapping up here. So, uh, I recognize that, you know, a lot of people in this room probably don't walk by that kind of confidence in their daily lives, and uh, I'm going to have us all bow our heads and close our eyes for a second, and if that's you, if you're saying, Mike, you know, I, I I haven't been walking confidently, I haven't been aware of God's power in my life, and if I have been aware, I haven't had the courage to do anything about it, um, I want you to have the opportunity to to draw a line in the sand tonight and say that from this point forward, I am going to live by that confidence of the power of God that has been delegated to me. Uh, So so if that's you, and you want me to pray for you, no one's looking around on the count of three. If you just want to put your hand up, one, two, three. All right, thanks, guys. There's a lot of hands going up. There's a lot of hands going up. Um, I'm just going to pray for us all. God, thank you so much. Uh, We are just so grateful for the gift that you've given us, Uh, you know, sacrificing your son for us, and just the power that you've made available to us that you want us to use, it is such an honor to be, to be trusted with that. And uh, we pray, Lord, that, you know, today you would just give us the courage to draw a line in the sand, Lord. We say that from this point forward, we're not going to live in fear. We're not going to be crippled, Lord, but we are going to use the power that you have asked us to use. We are going to be confident with it in a way that is going to advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. And before we close up completely, uh, this is my favorite part of every night here. Um, If you're here tonight and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, um, that's awesome. I'm so glad you're here, seriously. Um, If you've never made a decision to recognize Jesus as the Lord of your life, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Um, If you're on the fence about it, dude, jump in. It's the best decision you could ever make. You can be certain about your place in eternity forever. You can be welcomed into the family with open arms adopted as a son or daughter. Um, So let's all bow our our heads and close our eyes once more. And uh, if that's you, if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life right now, um, in just a moment, I'm going to count to three and just have you, you know, raise your hand up and and look at me so, you know, we can, you know, acknowledge one another. And then uh, everyone in this room is going to pray a prayer together uh, in which we just recognize Jesus as the Lord of our life. Because, you know, the, the Bible says that, If we believe uh, that Jesus is who he says he was and that God raised him from the dead, then we're going to be saved. Uh, So all all heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And then uh, let's all pray together. Thank you. You guys that raised your hands, thank you so much. All right, let's pray. God, I know I've messed up. Today I put my old life behind me. I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. I believe that you raised him from the dead. My life is yours. Heaven is my home. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that's all I got, guys.